that little blue pill really helped society a lot. But we still, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to, I'm not touching that. I'm just using it as an example. I think you could have made a case that for the benefit of society, the patent should have been invalidated because we need lots of sources of this. We need this to be cheap. We need this to be available. Look what it does for your heart. Look what it does for other things. We need this. Okay, Jeff, we're finally getting to it. The feedback. Oh, it's, it's been several weeks we've been trying to get to this. Yeah, it, it has been uh, because it's it's some meaty feedback and I want to give it its appropriate time. That's I don't fair. want just to breeze right over it. I want to actually give it some consideration. Okay. And this may spark a further discussion. Okay. So for context, this is feedback on our GPL and license uh, episode that we had about how you should license your software, how we prefer to license our software, mm -hmm. other people prefer. So a person in our Matrix channel responded, and uh, I'm just going to, I'm changing the names to protect the innocent. Um, so we're just going to call him G. How about that? Okay. So G said, well, that depends on whether or not you believe anyone should even have the right to produce proprietary software. I do not believe that which is exactly why GPL would be my go-to if I ever had motivation to code anything. I understand that this can be seen as an extreme opinion. Besides my opinion, it was a good episode, and I liked the preview thing in the beginning. It was a nice touch. I subscribed. Thank so you. Thank you, G, thank you, G, for subscribing. We appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you for giving me this feedback. Mm -hmm. This happened in the Matrix channel. We had a discussion about it, um, and now I'm bringing that forward so we can have an episode about it because that's, as we said in episode... Zero, I think it was. Maybe it was episode one. I don't know. Uh, we want feedback to be a part of this show. Mm -hmm. And we want the community to come along for the ride and be actually a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I responded with, yes, I know people that feel the same way. For me, though, that reaches to a much more foundational issue. And that's whether a person has the right to their own labor. If I don't have the right to own my work and make decisions about it, in this case, keeping my work private. How does you or anyone else have the right to make decisions about your work? Either we all have the right to make decisions about the conditions others can use our work, or none of us can. And at the end of the day, it's the same core issue. Does a person have the right to make decisions about what they create? And G responded, if I understand you correctly, your concern is that you would not be able to control who had access to what you create. Is that correct? And I responded, Actually, it's the flip side of that. I don't think someone else should be able to control something that you create without your permission. If you create thing and you put in the effort and the work, why should I be able to tell you that what you can and can't do with a thing you created? When you say no one should have the right to create proprietary software, that's what you want to do to others. I'm pretty sure that you would be against this principle being applied to you. Let's flip that on its head. How would you feel if someone, let's say Microsoft, pushed the government to pass a law making open source software illegal? Would you be okay with someone else telling you what you can and can't do with software you write? I'm pretty sure you would be against that, but it's the same issue. Person two writes some software. Does person one have the right to control what person two does with the software that they wrote? If you wouldn't want that principle applied to you, 
I don't think it should be applied to someone else. And I think this is one of the reasons why licensing is so contentious. Because once you start to pick apart that issue, you end up running into a bunch of philosophical questions and a moral quandary about rights and ownership. What initially seems like a simple, straightforward question, when you get to the root of it, is a very fundamental issue with how we as humans interact with each other and in large groups, and how we review rights over our person and what we make. And I said, these are the kind of things that Jeff and I want to be able to get into on the show and get differing opinions from people, because we both feel by discussing it and getting different perspective and views, we're able to figure out for ourselves where we stand on an issue. Absolutely. And then D, we're going to call him that, chimed in. Welcome, and D. Said, well, if you really want to veer off tangent, you could discuss the underlying philosophies behind the law, private property, rights to fruit of one labor, sweat of the brow, and debate whether copyright should exist in any form or Ooh. just not apply to software or just not apply to APIs, data sets, et cetera. Or better yet, challenge the idea of private property rights entirely. Oh, wow. Now that's a gauntlet. Goodness, D. E.g. all private property is theft. Wow. Another philosophical question is, does all this intellectual property make society better off? What if everything were entirely free to copy? Do copyrights and patents actually advance the useful arts and sciences? Without IP rights, most people who make creative works then could not make a living from them. So is that okay? Would they be productive in other ways of more value and still have some creativity to spare to advance human culture and knowledge? Okay, so that's Dee's pondering, as he said. So now I'm going to Kick it over to you, Jeff. Well, I think we should invite D on the show because it sounds like D has quite <laughs> a lot of depth here. There's a lot to unpack. I'm going to start uh, because I'm odd. I'm going to start towards the end so that it really stuck out to me. Do copyrights and patents actually advance the useful arts and sciences? And then the next question he asks is without IP rights or her, I don't know if D is female, male or female, without IP rights, most people who make, would most people who make creative works then not make a living from it? And I've, I've actually wondered about that myself and thinking we have to incentivize people to make art or else they're not going to want to do it. If we, if we shove everybody through engineering school and math school, because that's what you know, we need as a society, we need more engineers, we need more mathematics, we need more computer science. We're going to lose a lot of the artistic side of our culture. And it's the arts. Like when you go back and study old cultures, it's the artistic things that survived. It's Roman frescoes that we discovered that were covered over with pebbles when the sea came in, or it's, um, religious artifacts that were used in some kind of uh, event or, or, or something, and they got buried by a volcano or something. Those are the things that survive. That's not engineering. That's not programming. That's not math. That's not the hard sciences that evolve our society at all. It's art that we find. Those, I think, are, are the um, ind indicators of a healthy society. So I've long thought about if we don't incentivize people to make art, then we're not going to be able to be viewed as a, as a quality, prof profitable society in a couple hundred years. Who cares about them? We're, we're on debt by then. But in a couple hundred years, what are they going to think of us that we don't have any, we don't have any works by which to judge the, uh, the, the progress of our society? And so this, this is a thought I've had several times. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of in the camp of because I believe we need people to be making creative works and some people need to be doing it as their job because some creative works take that much. We kind of need to have some kind of degree of IP rights to protect those people. And so that's the foundation of my 
argument on IP, on copyright, and all these things, it starts from that side of things. We need art in society, therefore we need certain protections. That's where I come in. And that's the back mm -hmm. part of his questions, her questions. Um, and that doesn't really address any of the rest of it. And they're all fascinating, really, to consider. Um, yeah, and I also think that this isn't an all-or-nothing game. Right. Like, personally, for me, I think that IP rights have a place. I think they can be a good thing. But I absolutely believe they can be abused. Mm -hmm. Same with copyright. Absolutely. Yes. I think there's valid, perfect reasons for copyright. I think, you know, the fact that Disney keeps pr promoting and getting the law changed mm -hmm. so that Mickey Mouse doesn't go into the public domain. Like, okay, that's... Uh, okay, maybe that's abusive. But I can't find the line between what's abusive and what's not. I can't come down with a legislation or, or a morality rule that says, this is okay, that's not. That works in yeah. all cases. It's it's definitely a complex topic. It is. But it's also true that, you know, the whole point of IP, patents, and copyrights were to spur innovation mm -hmm. and allow people to profit from it. But those very same things can be weaponized. See that with patent trolls. Yes. If you look back in history, in the, in the Dark Ages, there were a lot of people that were doing science and math and, and alchemy and all this stuff, but everything was very, very closed down because they didn't want to share any information, mostly because the person who was doing the studies or research was working for some nobility or whatever, and that was their meal ticket, effectively. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they didn't want to share their information right. because, well, that was competition. Right. But then we saw that like once people actually started working in the open and sharing that information, you had the Renaissance and the sciences exploded, mm -hmm. and innovation came out of everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we saw that continue for hundreds and hundreds of years later. But it's true that there does need to be some protection on the bleeding edge, so that if you can push the boundary a little more, that you can, you can make a profit off of the benefits that that gives you. Now, should you be able to own that benefit forever? No, I don't think so. I agree, Because at some point, forever. it has to come back to society mm -hmm so that everybody can benefit because then it raises everybody up. Mm -hmm. It's the rising tide. Yeah. Intelligence, learning, education, all those things, that's the rising tide. And uh, whatever falls into the public domain, whether by accident or deliberate, um, directly or indirectly can rise, raise society. Sometimes not in ways you want, like the anarchist cookbook, I'm sure that, you know, the government would have loved back in 80s or 90s, whenever that was published, for them to be able to squash that out. But I honestly think that was fascinating. And I did, I did poke into that as a younger man, but I learned a lot from that. Yeah, and there's different, you know, I don't know if there's a really even a possibility for a one answer, one size fits all. Right, yeah, there's not. Different industries, for instance, take medicine. If, if you create some medical breakthrough, do you need the same type of time protection as somebody who does something with the computer? Mm -hmm. And this avoids even the issue of the nonsense patents, like, for instance... Apple somehow patenting rounded edges, rounded corners <laughs> on a rectangle, or like touching I'm a sorry. screen and it, it no. responds. Yeah, slide to lock. Yes. How is that? Uh, Amazon owns one-click purchasing. Like, okay, really? Like how? How? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's like so. Like I, I would, I would understand if, if you know, when Amazon came up with that, if they were given say two years. Like, okay, yes, you own that two years, but it's so trivial mm -hmm. that. After that, is it though? Everybody can do it. Is it trivial? On the concept, I... it seems very trivial. Okay, I click a button, I make an order. But all the things that have to happen in the background for that to be possible, all the um, conventions that set up, and all the previous work, and all those other things, that's non-trivial. 
So is one click ordering actually trivial or not? I would argue that it is. Okay. Because back in the day, you could do effectively the same thing with a phone call. If you worked with a business, mm -hmm. you could call up and be like, need another order. And they process. It. I need 40 shovels. Get it to me by tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. We'll get it shipped today. And then it's done because someone is doing all the manual work right. in the back mm -hmm. end. But effectively, you just, it was just as like one click. You just told the person, make it happen. Mm -hmm. That just got automated and turned into a button you push. Right. The, 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 uh, the new invention is that it's on the computer, you know? Right. Vending machines are a push one button, get item. I put my dollar in, I push the button, I get the can of soda. Right. Like, but back then, that's they, one click they ordering. A computer. No, it wasn't a computer, right? All these things that we know that are obvious. They're... No, no, that was a computer. Yeah, okay, okay. Federal definition of a computer is a device that computes. Oh. So my abacus is a computer. It is. My lamp is a computer. Yep. Oh. And actually, the federal definition includes electrochemical. So your brain is a computer, according to the federal well, government. Well, then that changes a lot of things. I need to be careful about that. Yeah, don't plug your brain so in. So don't cross borders because then you have to get your brain inspected because it's a competing device. Wow. You know, they, they don't know it doesn't Right. <laughs> they don't want to inspect my brain. I'll just say that. Yeah, getting back on time. Right. Like, I think there's a line, but where it is, I don't, I don't know that there's a single answer. I think it's going to be Agreed. all over the place for different things. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how that can be solved. Well, I do know that whatever the answer is or whatever is put forth, regardless of how good or bad it is, someone or many someone's are going to push right up to the boundary of that and some push past it but there there is profit to be made in finding the edge and going right up to it closer to the edge than the next person like disney is not a person technically corporations legally are people disney the corporation is a person but in my opinion they're not so it's not really in my mind appropriate to say the estate of walt disney wants to continue the, the copyright for Mickey Mouse and all of his, you know, brethren. But understand they have built an empire on the exclusivity of these, cre of these uh, creations. And without that exclusivity, the empire, I don't say crumbles, but it, it becomes Swiss cheese. You know, it, uh, it becomes not nearly as profitable. And so they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to do whatever they can to extend the, uh, the family element of the copyright for Walt Disney. They have to. Mm -hmm. or, or whoever the argument gets really. made yeah the argument then gets made if you're continually working to continue the financial profitability of owner uh, ownership of thing mm -hmm. are you now not innovating because you don't have to and you can keep milking i i, I would agree with and that. yeah you're not what happens then when you end up becoming predatory and you have a company like disney who is buying up every single major IP that exists in the entertainment world. And they then pretty much own almost all of I it. I loved that meme with uh, Mickey wearing the, uh, the power glove or infinity glove. Like, and they putting all the different uh, movie studios together as the gems in there. I laughed so yeah. hard at that. Cause that's exactly what happened. That's what yeah. has happened. I mean, this is what people do when there is a principle that is created and it can be, you know, completely agnostic to being good or bad. It's just as a principle. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people who are going to figure out how can we use this to our benefit? Absolutely. And to the detriment of other people. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just what people do. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it, and I don't think, I don't think you're going to stop that because no. that would require changing human nature. I don't want that to stop. I honestly think that that, that drive as many negative consequences as it has 
but it's also positive overall benefit. My drive to make the next better, more round wheel, a better ball bearing, uh, a, a stiffer material that better stands up to random neutrons from a, from a nuclear reactor. My drive to do the better, the, the, this, to find the boundaries, the edges, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And overall, society benefits either directly or indirectly. Not in everything. I mean, if I'm pushing the boundaries of pornography, I don't know what, what that does for society. But uh, you know, that, uh, maybe I just staying in the technical world, purely in the technical world. If you're pushing advancement of technological something, directly or indirectly, I think society benefits. Even if you're the only one that ever makes a penny on it, if you're causing someone's life to be better, I don't know where the boundary is there. Like you asked a question earlier about how far can someone milk it? Uh, that's not exactly what you asked, but that's, you know, let's, let's pick that part out, that question out. How long should Disney be able to milk the IP they've got? How many billions is enough? And the billions they've made, they wisely reinvested into capturing other IP that they could then milk for more billions and continue this process. But no one on this planet is going to die without Disney. I know there are people that are Disney fans that think, oh, I can't live without Disney. <laughs> Guess what? You can live without Disney. It's okay. It's possible. There's other IP for you to fall in love with. And honestly, you don't need these characters in your life. Some people would really hate me for that. Um, yeah. But it's voluntary. It's entertainment. So I, I really have... I want to draw a distinction between entertainment IP and technical IP. Just broadly separate into two categories there. Let me, let me ask this question. Are there other categories that should go into this broad generalization before we go any farther in this analogy? Well, I mean, there's obviously the medical side of things. Okay, um, good. Drug patents, how long should they last? And should they be required to, after a certain point, be open so that other companies can make them? Right. I was immediately going to say that that's technology, but some drugs are not just technology. They're entertainment or recreational. So where do those fall? There's always mm -hmm. going to be gray areas. But I still mentally put it into, maybe not technology, science. Science IP and then entertainment IP. Or science and creative. I don't know. I'm trying to find a delineation here. I don't know if you can really split that hair. Mm. Because there's a lot of creativity on the science yeah, side when true. you're trying to do something innovative. I want it to be that um, neat, but it's not. You know, let's, let's look at automobiles. Okay. Seatbelts. Uh, I, think, I think, I don't I forget who came out with the first seatbelt. But whatever company it was. Could they have patented the seatbelt and then basically... All the other car companies would not have been allowed to have seatbelts because that company owned the patent for it. Well, or they can license the patent. I remember growing up, cars didn't have rearview mirrors on both sides. Right. It was an option. Mm -hmm. You could buy the car and you could get the passenger side mirror if you wanted it. Mm -hmm. You didn't necessarily, if you bought a car used and it didn't have the passenger side mirror, you didn't get it. Yeah. Well, whoever was the first one who's like, you know what, we're going to put a mirror on the side, of, on the passenger side. They could have patented that and then, well, then what? That's why patents have lifetimes. Well, supposed to. Right. But for, you know, patents actually, do, I, I, I do think they're, and for various classes of patents, they have different lifetimes, I think. I mean, I don't, I'm a little rusty on my patent law, I'll just be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but here's the point I'm making is you take seatbelt. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is an innovative thing that someone could have patented. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But like in that case, is that something that a company should have exclusive rights to produce for X period of time? Or do we as a society go, okay, that's cool and all, but that is so important for society as a whole 
that everyone can take advantage of that, that it's not right to just be stuck with one brand of car that has access to that thing. Like hypothetically, yeah. let's let's say Samsung makes cell phones. Let's say no, they that's come not out hypothetical, with some... that's real. They do that. Well, by yeah, the way. but my hypothetical is, is this is where it. the hypotheticals come from. <laughs> okay, okay. They create they create a magic chip inside. They do that too. And this, this chip is just brilliant. And this chip somehow, we're just, again, hypothetical, can stop all malware instantly and it can't run. Okay, that's where the magic comes okay, from. Okay, okay, now I'm on board. Okay, so Samsung is shipping this in their phones. And obviously this is a good thing because we would want this. So is that the kind of thing where as a greater society around the planet, all of us buying phones, we think that innovation is so beneficial that it needs, everyone needs access to it. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't have your exclusive window, but that maybe that exclusive window should just be like a generation of phones. And then for the public good, we want this to be out like, like seatbelts. Right. And so there are some, I'm putting air quotes on this. You can't see it listeners, but the obvious things like that, obvious ideas where yes, that's the public good. Advil has been very beneficial or Tylenol or, mm -hmm. or a simple antibiotics have been very beneficial to the public. But there are still formulations of Advil combining with something else that are under patent or whatever, and only the one company is allowed to make it. The little blue pill, I think, in the last year has come off of patent, and, and there's been a flood of now legitimate third-party companies making the little blue pill. But before then, there was only the one major source and then a whole bunch of people pretending to be from the major source selling it to your inbox mm -hmm. repeatedly. But my constant battle against those people. Anyway, listening to here and there, that little blue pill really helped society a lot but we still okay i'm not going to i'm not touching that i'm just using it as an example i think you could have made a case that for the benefit of society the patent should have been invalidated because we need lots of sources of this we need this to be cheap we need this to be available look what it does for your heart look what it does for other things we need this advil when mm -hmm. it first arrived or some of the modern formulations of advil combining it with something else this is something society needs and so on a case-by-case -case basis i personally can see easily, well, that's duh, yeah, but I don't know how many millions or billions of dollars was spent formulating this Advil plus something else formulation. I don't know. I don't know how many millions of dollars were, were spent uh, trying to make uh, any medication. The, the medication is a good use case here to consider because of how much it costs. Even if you mm -hmm. just, if you have no creation costs whatsoever, I just, bam, in my head, there's a chemical formula for something that's going to be useful for us. I still have to spend anywhere between four and 12 years in trials and millions upon millions of dollars paying for all those trials and you know, miles of paperwork before the FDA says, okay, we agree, that's safe, let's let you sell it for 25 years or whatever. So even if you don't factor in the creation cost, there's the, not litigation cost, the, uh, the regulation cost of bringing it to market. Mm -hmm. And me as the consumer, I don't care about that. It doesn't matter to me that it costs some company $400 million to get this into the market. I don't care. I just want that. I don't want that product. You know, I, this is going to help my life. I want it. So let's nationalize it. Let's, let's yeah, release it. And that makes immediate sense to me. But I'm not the person making decisions. That's probably a very good thing for all of us that I'm not the person making decisions. It, it seems obvious, but I don't know that there's a way to write regulations that would be, oh, the obvious case is to do this, but the non-obvious cases clearly don't go that. What's obvious to one person, it's not obvious to another person. There's a lot of ways to take this, yeah. I guess. And and again, there's obviously, the whole issue is is wrought with 
potential abuse. I mean, absolutely, yes. There's the one with the EpiPen. Oh gosh, the, the yes. patent was bought by another company, yeah. and they jacked the price up by X number of percent. I forget what it was. I hated that. And it's like, uh, okay, there's like, what's going on here? Why did the price suddenly skyrocket by ten? By a factor of ten, I don't know exactly what it was off the top of my head, I think it's like a, but it was an exorbitant like price or something. Yeah, it was an exorbitant price increase for effectively no real reason because mm -hmm. they had owned the patent, they had been producing it for a long time, they were the go-to. But because of that, they were the only one. So they're like, "Oh, well, supply and demand. Mm -hmm. We are the only source of this. We can charge whatever we want, right. and because people need this to stay alive, they'll pay for it." As painful as that was, I agree that the company had the rights to do that. I don't like it. But I, as a capitalist, as a free market economist, I have to agree that they had the right to do that. And we all had the right to bitch about yeah. it and say, we're not going to use EpiPen. Let's go up with something else. There's another delivery mechanism that is almost as good that we but, can use. Okay, here's the problem. You're a free market capitalist. Mm -hmm. That effectively is a monopoly. I understand. That's against the free market when you have literally a government institution saying no one else is allowed to produce this thing because of a patent. Mm -hmm. That's not a free market. You're right, you're right. And the, like, we have this argument kind of going on in society right now mm -hmm. over a potential coronavirus vaccine. Right. Whatever company produces one that is proven to be effective and not have horrible side effects or whatever, can that company effectively write their own check for the rest of the world? Or is, is somehow, is that going to be purchased by the government and then become public domain so that everyone can have access to it? Like, how does that all play out? Because you have tons of money being spent, mm -hmm. and obviously the companies who are spending it want to have a recoup on their investment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's 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 not a one size fits there's all. Not. Yes, and it's definitely really hard to deduce where the line should be because even in something like the medical field, there are so many specific minor little details that matter in the specific case that you're discussing yes. that might not apply to the next one. Mm -hmm. For instance. A coronavirus vaccine is not in the same ballpark as epinephrine for bee stings with an EpiPen. Mm -hmm. It's still the same issue. Should one company have sole exclusive rights to something and be able to milk the, the, you know, the world for it, even if it causes a ton of people to die because they can't pay for it? You know, it's, it's definitely a muddy issue. Yeah. Compassionately, I would like to say no, but, you know, that company did spend lots of money. Well, no, I guess the, the company that bought the patent. They spent the money on the patent. They didn't spend any of the money on development. Yeah. Do you so? Do you fault the people that sold it? Then that's the question I have to ask. Um, the people that sold the EpiPen previously, whoever owned it, was happy selling it for thirty-two dollars or whatever it is per unit. Do you fault them when someone comes up and says, "Here's nine thousand briefcases full of twenty-dollar bills. Just take all this. There's four more rooms of it over there. Just go take that and hand us this piece of paper and don't think about it." Would you? Do that because I do. I would absolutely would. So, you know, I've got something that, okay, I'm not gonna say it's something that saves the world, but if someone offers me, you know, ninety thousand briefcases full of cash, I'm gonna certainly pay attention. And I can't, you know, personally fault that company for saying, okay, I know what you're probably gonna do with this is nefarious. I don't care. Look at all that money. I can't really fault. Right, but for I that. think that's where that's where the discussion comes back to. Where is the fine line between protecting a creator's rights to something, who you know the IP that they own, the IP they've created, mm -hmm. versus the benefit that that IP has for the world? So that's I think what what IP current copyright laws and rules are different in different countries, uh, plus, plus different levels of enforcement. We'll say it that way too. They're trying to strike a balance. 
between we know that the cost so the cost of an individual creative artist coming up with a work of art is they could have spent that time on something else they could have spent that time building a bridge learning a new skill going to school and never things they spent it instead making this creative art that's worth something and we would like to protect that value if possible to a certain limit so the current laws are a good compromise i won't even say the best compromise and what that compromise is Whatever the best compromise is probably evolves over time as we figure out how to game the system a certain way. This kind of goes back to our previous argument about the, the algorithm, actually. It kind of reminds me of tweaking the algorithm. We have an algorithm for what belongs in public domain and what doesn't. And right now, I think it's kind of a bad algorithm. But we should be able to tweak it in, in small ways, one hopes, to benefit the greater good, one would hope. Or benefit corporations, or or any number of things. Whoever's advocating for it, actually, it's it's kind of a combat system. We we haven't really evolved past combat. We've just moved it from physical combat into legal combat. Now, lawyers are fighting on our behalf, and well, they're fighting on their behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in their best interest to fight for their client because they want to keep getting paid. Yeah, so, sometimes their benefit just happens to also be our benefit. Yes, in rare you know all those clash all those class action suits where you know billions are paid out mm -hmm. and the Individual consumer gets like a twelve dollar check. Right. Yeah. No, but, not even a and check. And the attorneys, it's, yeah, it's the attorneys retire afterwards to the company that just paid the money. So, like, hey, you know, I have a class action against Samsung. Here's four dollars and nineteen cents. This is your share. You can spend it at the, the Samsung store. What the hell can I get for four dollars and nineteen cents? Nothing. What's gonna? What am I? Gonna, since they end up making more money anyway. Sorry, rant over that. That didn't actually happen, but I've had some similar things happen to me. Like, uh, who thought this was a good idea? The lawyers who wanted a big paycheck. Yes, pretty much, yeah. Um, but anyway, that that's like three tangents off. This is, there's so many places this conversation has gone, will continue to go. I honestly think this is like a multi-episode topic that uh, G and D have introduced to us. Thank you very much for that, uh, guys, gals, whatever. This is really fascinating stuff, to be honest. And I don't have a good, um, I can't really just settle on one guideline for anything. Because the second I start thinking this is going to work great for creatives and, and protecting their small art, then I have to think about, well, corporations are technically individuals too, and so they have ownership, and it's not the same thing. You know, that's why we, we're separating copyright from patents. They're um, cut from similar cloth, but not the same thing, right? And they have different lifetimes. So copyright continues to be extended because we are trying to favor protecting the creative versus the inventor, who is very creative almost always to invent the thing that he or she or the corporation has done. That still takes a lot of creativity, but it's not a creative artistic work. It's a creative scientific work. I guess I'm trying to drag us back sure... to this breakdown again that I was going for earlier in our talk. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can't argue that copyright law protects the creator when the current implementation of copyright law is effective after the creator has died. Like, at that point, you're not protecting them anymore. That's true. That's true. And with and this is one thing that we brought up in this episode when I was worried about licensing is with copyright, we have, OK, the copyright will transfer to the family mm -hmm. who they have the rights to the estate and then they can then sell it to somebody else. And now that person is the owner of that copyright over that thing. Mm -hmm. And well, are we going to see the same thing with software licensing where developer dies Big company comes to family with a briefcase full of cash and says, hey, how about you sell me the rights to the code that you're 
father or grandfather or uncle, whoever, wrote, hey, you don't care anything about mm -hmm. it, but look, briefcase full of money. Right. And we end up with licensed trolls in the future where companies buy up all this open source software and re-license. And yeah, if, if you want to know more about that and my thoughts on it, go find that episode right, yes. because I dig into it. Much well, I think more we also, there was a, a real life example of this happening that we, we cited, I believe. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but someone had done this and then discovered it wasn't um, profitable. And so they gave up on it. Who was it I was thinking about? Um, um, someone bought Alsa or licensed it for like seven years or something like that. Do you remember that? No, I don't or, remember or, that at all. It went private for seven years, like in 2003, 2004. And then they realized after a long time, this is not really making us money. We need to divest this. And so they did. They gave it back to the community again or something like this. I believe it was a, we might not have gone into that example, but that's the one that immediately comes to mind. You're right. This is, this is a challenge and I have no idea how to deal with that. Um, because I think at the end of the day, eventually you end up at the foundational argument of the individual versus the group. I agree. And where is the balance between individual rights and protections and the benefit of everyone? So G is taking and the position I, that the group it is supreme. The group's needs trump the individual. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's, that's where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. I think it's a balance. Mm -hmm. I, I think if you go to either direction, you end up in very bad situations. Agreed. Um, if you end up at any either extreme. So I think somewhere in the middle is the balance. Mm -hmm. And I think there has to be flexibility enough that as the situation changes, things can be adjusted as they need to be. Because yes. I don't think you can you can't ever write down policy. A, a, a rule. Yes. That is going to work in every situation. Because especially once you write the rule down, someone's going to figure out how to take it advantage of it right up to right. the edge of what the rule says. And then at that point, you may need to adjust the rule, which is what we're seeing. And also then, you know, a major corporation can pay billions to lobbyists to get the rule shifted. Billions. That's a lot of lobbying. Wow. I want to be a lobbyist if there's uh, billions in there. I'm pretty sure that if you added up all the money Disney has spent over the years, they probably have put out about a billion towards wow. copyright lobby. I'm trying to think. About I would that. guess because that that steamboat Willie was like 1930, and then the corporation it didn't have the the cash for heavy lobbying until Disneyland opened. So we're talking about 55 or 60 years of. All right, brain, stop doing numbers. That's not the important thing here. <laughs> the important <laughs> thing is they continue to do that, and I I don't like it. I especially also don't like how they'll take their own content, and this is perfectly within their rights to do it. They'll say, we are not selling this movie right now. It's in the vault. And I hate that. Like, Well, that's the McDonald's McRib. Artificial scarcity. I really yep. have a strong, vehemently, I feel very strongly against it. But I can't really fault a corporation mm -hmm. for doing it when they have strict control over this thing that people want. That's how you monetize the thing that people want. You make it right. not available. And it's, if people really, 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 really want it, they'll pay a lot of money for it. And that's what you want. You made a thing that's so valuable, someone wants to pay you for it, that they'll scream at you to, please sell this to me. I think you win. Honestly, I think you win. But I don't need Disney's movies in my life. And mm -hmm. if something's in the vault, I can do without it. Maybe yeah. I don't have children, I don't have a screaming child that's like, oh my gosh, we need a copy of Lion King right now, or else our child is going to melt <laughs> down. I don't have that in my life. Some people do. So some people would feel differently than me, I bet. But uh, I can mm -hmm. empathize with that, but that's not where I am. Yeah, and as somebody... For myself, who's, you know, obviously heavily invested in the open source concept, mm -hmm. 
I, I always view it that you can create a stronger, more profitable community if you allow the community to flourish. You know, you take, you take Star Wars. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons Star Wars is as big as it is is because Lucas did not go around beating everyone with a club who came up with some Star Wars thing and wrote a play about it for their high school musical or whatever. Like, he owned it. He profited from it. He obviously wasn't going to let another major corporation do something. But all, you know, and there were books. There were, you know, but even aside from that, you had people who were creating fan fiction, mm -hmm. which was just that. It was unofficial, uncanon fan fiction mm -hmm. from people that loved that storyline. Right. And Lucas did not go after every single one of the little guys trying to destroy them for how dare you. Meanwhile, CBS takes over Star Trek and puts out the most egregious, overbearing rules if you want to do anything fan fiction for anything that's related to Star Trek. And, like, there were, over the course of history, lots of very low-grade fan fiction-type stuff that people made about the Star Trek universe. And people people loved it, and it made the community get bigger, and more people loved Star Trek. And then CBS came along and basically squashed all of that down and pissed off your fan base. Now they have the fun of they keep putting out, trying to put out new Star Treks, and people are like, yeah, we, but we don't, we don't, we don't like this. We'll, we'll like, go back and watch Next care. Generation again, because that's good. Right. You know, because we have that on DVD, right. so we're just going to play that on loop. And, and it's, it's on know. Netflix, it's on Prime. We don't need to do anything for you know. We don't need your peacock yeah, and, service. And cultivating, yeah, cultivating a culture and a community around what you own allows you to get more people involved, which allows you to sell more. So then, yeah. this is something J.K. Rowling did fantastically well mm -hmm. with the Harry Potter universe. She wrote the books. People loved the books, and there is an entire genre and culture around the Harry Potter. Yes storyline i mean there are conventions you can go to that are harry potter conventions there i've gone to two of them myself doing photography stuff like it's a huge thing and uh, tons of people make their own fan fiction and rolling 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 however you I say her know, last I name she, again she hasn't gone around clubbing people with the head and over the head because they wrote some story that they put on their blog about something in the harry potter universe right. because she wisely realized that the more people get invested into something, the more it, it, enthusiasm they're going to have when she puts out the next book. So this raises two points to me. One, it seems like the best compromise is not one that's legislated, but one where the individual of his or her or it, in the corporation's sense, free will, chooses to let others use the thing they have under control, sometimes in ways that they don't know to allow them to use it seems like a good compromise, but it has to be the benevolence of the, of the individual that owns the, the copyright or the patent on the thing. And then the other side of that is, it seems like when you try to force it, when you try, when a corporation tries to clamp down on it, and then there's a lot of risk control too. Like I don't want people using our IP because I don't want them to write something that's hate speech. We can't be associated with hate speech. So we have to shut down all fan fiction in case there's some hate speech. Now, that's that's a risk analysis that a corporation does, but I don't think it's the right analysis. I don't think they arrive at the right conclusion, but they may decide that the, the risk of one person getting radicalized and deciding to go take out a, a corporate...
a conference full of people because they got radicalized reading some fan fiction. I, I realize this is ludicrous, but stranger things have happened, right? You know, reality is stranger than fiction here. And a corporation may decide it's not in our best interest. Um, we can't have this happen because that would wreck our company. Mm -hmm. And I can see, can't fault them for making that decision. I think it's the wrong decision. I'm firmly in the camp of use my stuff. Sometimes even use my stuff for things I won't approve of, but you're using my stuff, you know? It, it, the only press, the good press is good, bad press is good. The only press that's not good is no press, right? That's kind of a thinking, it's kind of a Phantom of the Opera mm -hmm. thinking, Jerry Jones kind of thinking, it doesn't matter what it is, just keep my stuff in the news. And so extending that into fan fiction, I don't care what they're writing, they're writing, and they're writing about characters in my universe. They're writing about mm -hmm. my books. So that means someone else may be interested in them or the enthusiasm is higher or whatever. I think that's a good compromise. Yeah, I just, yeah, I hope that that type of thing can be seen and recognized by corporations because, again, bringing it back to the open source right. side of things, all of us working together can create something great. Yes. And when you have a, a, an IP a literary universe or however you want to term it, uh, where people can take kind of take a minor ownership. They don't have control over the whole thing. Right. They they can't change the the grand narrative. But when they can take a part of that and kind of own just a little piece of that, it actually has the end effect of being more profitable down the road. Mm -hmm. Which is why JK Rowling is, I think, the wealthiest writer ever at this point. Would, I would not be surprised. Like, stop looking at the short term and look at the long term. And if if you can cultivate a community around something, like, for instance, had been done previously with Star Wars and Star Trek, you will create generations of people that love that thing and will spend money on that thing. But if you take the hardline approach of, well, this might drive profits down by half a percent, over the next three quarters. Well, okay, yeah, maybe, but if you absolutely ruin a franchise which has had generations of fans, yes, literally, are you really doing yourself a favor by saving, by earning an extra half a percent over a year versus cultivating the next generation of people that are going to give you money? And that's where privately owned businesses and, you know, I guess you can't say the word corporation, privately owned corporation? Um, they have the advantage because they can choose to convince their owners, their private owners, to take the long view. But a shareholder, publicly traded company, almost always it's about profits now, profits now, profits this quarter, make the stock go up, profits now, not enough, bump this expense to the next, uh, or we're going to have to take a bunch of expenses, so let's just bundle it all into one really bad quarter and do a massive write-down, a $3 billion write-down on everything that bad could be happen in the last three years plus the next two years. We'll just take a three billion write down. It'll be a terrible quarter. We'll get past it. And then we can go back to our nice profitable quarters again. The, the shareholders reward that. But that's the shareholders driving it. So a private company can do what a publicly traded company cannot. And that's be prudent and invest in their future or, or an individual or a small partnership or whatever. They can be more nimble than a large corporation can. I had no idea we were going to go in this topic, in this direction. This yeah, has and been that, fantastic. That we, boy, we could... We could go off on a tangent there about predatory corporate practices and that the people who, in my opinion, try to push them are usually the people who have the inability to create something new and profitable. So they just devour what they can and 
drain it of any potential value and for tossing the the dead husk to the side and finding the next thing to yeah. go after predatorily um, but we'll save that for the yeah. next episode right yeah, yeah, that's definitely... We can get there. We can get to that topic, I think we but, might, uh, but I think we should save that one for a, another later. time. This one's already started to run long, but it's been fascinating. I've really enjoyed this discussion, and I appreciate the uh, responses from people and, and the wonderful questions and the the probing questions. There's there's a lot we didn't even unpack that we may have more to come back to. I mean, I love this. I would never have thought about this, and I'm really glad that we had listeners that, that popped up and said, hey, what about this? Please, if you have these questions, send it to us. Hop in the matrix. Yes, hop, hop in the telegram. This is we love this. This is exactly what we were hoping for. This is what we want. This is what we were hoping mm-hmm. for. Exactly. Jeff and I. I mean, we have good discussions. We argue and pick on each other all the time. But you know, we've we've been round the round the bend so many times with different arguments that sometimes somebody can come out of the blue with a different take, and we both go, "Oh, okay. Hold on. Let's think about that for mm-hmm. a bit." Um, that's that's what we want. So. By all means, please, if you have an idea, you have an opinion, this is the Opinion Dominion, send it into us. Send it into us. We'd love to hear you. All right, thanks for listening. 